This week, Israel is observing Holocaust Memorial Day, which in Hebrew is called Yom HaShoah. A siren will sound all across the country, calling everyone to stand in silence in remembrance of the six million that died in the Holocaust. Our commitment on such a day should be never again. So today we have a special guest in our studio to help us learn more about anti-Semitism and to guard against it. You don't want to miss it, so please stay tuned. Welcome to the Israel Answers series, connecting Israel, the Bible, and you. Join Susan Michael as she explores timely issues and current events from a scriptural perspective to equip the Christian world with a balanced and biblical response. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes, which will ignite your faith and bring the Bible to life in your everyday world. Now, let's join Susan with your Israel Answers. Well, warm greetings to the Out of Zion podcast. I'm Susan Michael with the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem, and I'm your host today. We are going to be discussing a very important topic, that of anti-Semitism, particularly Christian anti-Semitism. And it is my great privilege uh, to introduce to you our guest speaker today, uh, a real expert in this field, Dr. Michael Brown, who is founder and president of Ask Dr. Brown Ministries and founder of the Fire School of Ministry and host of the daily radio show, Line of Fire. Um, Dr. Brown is um, of Jewish uh, upbringing, became a believer in Jesus in 1971, and since then has preached all around the world and led a very uh, powerful and impacting ministry. Um, he holds a PhD in Near East Languages from New York University and was a visiting and adjunct professor at a number of seminaries. He has contributed numerous articles um, he has written over 40 books, and we're just so grateful for him of giving of his time today to speak to us on this subject. You know, Dr. Brown, I will say I love your title, Ask Dr. Brown, uh, because that's kind of my motto. When I'm up against an issue I need to articulate, I, I need to do research, you're one of the first ones that I turn to. Um, I so appreciate your balance with your, um, your Jewish background, your many years of powerful Christian ministry, and of course, your scholarship. So on today's subject, I will say that uh, there is no better expert. Very few authors have even attempted to tackle this subject, and you have written two phenomenal books on the subject of anti-Semitism. So I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Just warm greetings to you. Well, th thanks for the gracious introduction, and glad we could have this time together. Well, we uh, recommend all of those wanting further information to get your two books. Uh, there is much to learn about the history of Christian anti-Semitism that is covered in your first book, Our Hands Are Stained with Blood. But in today's conversation, we want to focus more on the contemporary, on today. And so um, before we get into that, though, I just would like to ask, would you just give us, please, your definition of anti-Semitism and how do you explain its persistence and existence over so many centuries? 
Yes, anti-Semitism in its base root is hatred of the Jewish people as people. In other words, it is not simply to have a difference with a Jewish person. It is not simply to have a bad experience with a Jewish person and have a negative attitude towards that individual. It is not even to observe things culturally in terms of Jewish strengths or Jewish weaknesses. It is not to have an issue with an Israeli policy towards the Palestinians. It is the hatred of the people as a people. It is the demonizing of the people, the caricaturing of the people, as in Jews are this or Jews are that. And it's been remarkably persistent. It can be documented in, oh, 2,300 years back, so before the time of Jesus, before the birth of Christianity, because there's some scholars that want to blame it all on Christian views of Jewish people. That certainly doesn't work. It's persisted to this day in Islam. It's burned bright in the midst of atheistic regimes. Uh, Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler, for their hatred of one another, shared a hatred of the Jewish people. You can find it among black supremacists, among white supremacists. You can find it in secular Japan. You think, how does it persist? What's the common denominator? Well, there is no simple rational explanation. I've given lectures many years ago at schools like Yale and Columbia, where I went through the widespread nature and history of anti-Semitism. Then I went through the various explanations for anti-Semitism, and none fully work. It's not simply a matter of, well, the Jews are different, and therefore religious Jews are hated, because secular Jews were hated just the same. It's often been said that in Nazi Germany that the Jews there were more German than Jewish, many of them, and yet they were hated the same way. Israeli Jews, secular, are hated the same way religious Jews are. You go through the various explanations, well, Jews control all the money. Well, through much of world history, it's been quite the opposite, and Jews have been terribly impoverished, as you'd see through watching, say, Fiddler on the Roof. That, That was very typical of Jewish life around the world over the centuries. You go through one explanation after another, and you realize... There's no rational, natural explanation that works for every different manifestation of it. It must be supernatural. And I see a couple of sides to that. One is that God uniquely chose the Jewish people to be his messengers and to bring his light to the world. And therefore, as a chosen people by God, Satan, the destroyer, will want to destroy them. Another aspect is that Jews in God's plan still have a key role to play and that it is a Jewish Jerusalem that will welcome back the Messiah. So certainly it makes sense for the devil to want to wipe out and destroy the Jewish people so that they cannot finish that plan. God is even guaranteed in the scripture, for example, in Jeremiah 31, verses 35 to 37, that no matter what Israel does, the Jewish people do, even though we'll come under divine discipline, even though we'll be scattered in the nations, he'll still preserve us. Well, if Satan can wipe us out, he makes God into a liar. So ultimately, I see this as supernatural and demonic, and hence the persistence of the hatred. Well, I always go to Psalm 83, and you know, it says, Oh God, those who hate you have said, let us wipe them off as a nation, that the name of Israel would be remembered no more. And so that's very clear that it is a spiritual battle against God himself, and his choice of people, his plan to use them. 
And they're caught in the middle, really, of this uh, spiritual battle. Um, so, you know, its persistence is also described as a mutating virus. Just when you think that you've wiped out the virus, it reinvents itself and it comes back in a slightly different form. So um, what are the some of the modern expressions of anti-Semitism that you see most prevalent today? Yes, so some of the the most prevalent would be first dealing with Israel as a nation so that Israel is completely delegitimized. Again, the issue is not, say, well, I, I don't think the Israeli policies towards the Palestinians and the so-called West Bank are fair, or I, I don't like the blockade of Gaza, whatever. Those things can be debated and discussed. Even if we had very different views on that, that wouldn't be anti-Semitic, but to delegitimize Israel as a nation say that the Jewish people have no right to their ancient homeland, to caricature Israel as genocidal, as an apartheid state, that would be a contemporary manifestation of anti-Semitism. Another one would be in a country like America or a continent like Europe, where over the decades, Jews, especially the, the last 30, 40 years, Jews have had a disproportionate influence as compared to their population. If we just use America, for example, so what, there may be 6 million Jews in America today out of a population of over 330 million, but you have names like Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. If you have an issue with Facebook, you have an issue with Zuckerberg. Well, Zuckerberg is a Jew. And, and you just go down the list. You have a problem with a liberal congressman. Well, Chuck Schumer is a Jewish. And Chuck Schumer, see the Jews, they control Congress. You know, they control the social media. And with Steven Spielberg and Hollywood, they control Hollywood. So you, you, you have these leaps. You have these caricatures and these leaps. And then you just need to, well, George Soros, he's under, he underwriting all these extreme liberal causes, and Soros is a Jew. And then you've got the shock jocks like Howard Stern, these immoral guys, and he's a Jew. And so w Jews, as I say, are, are like everybody else except more so. So our strengths are really strong, our weaknesses are really weak, and, and we just tend to rise to the top for good or for bad, I believe, based on a calling that God put on us to be agents of change. We can do it well or we can do it terribly. So there's that manifestation. Again, through much of history, that could not have existed because Jews were oppressed and Jews were cast out and Jews had to flee from country to country. But to the extent you can tie things in with the protocols of the elders of Zion, which is a, a, a fake document allegedly speaking of Jewish uh, aspirations to control the world from a little over 100 years ago, initially secretly, uh, circulated by Russian secret police. But it talks about goals of world domination by the Jews. To the extent you can point to that imagery and say, ah, look, here it is, here it is, that's another form of, of anti-Semitism that manifests itself. And then theologically, to the extent that Jews don't go along with the Christian program, it's easy to demonize. You see, it's easy to over-sentimentalize support for Jewish people. Uh, it's, it's been said that the great qualification for a missionary is not love for souls, but love for Christ. Because people will hurt you, and, and people won't respond the way you want them to, and people will disappoint you. But if you have an ardent love for the Lord, that will drive you to continue to serve those very people. 
in the same way, if you have some type of overly sentimentalized view of the Jewish people, and oh, we love the Jews and, and for this reason, that we were in Israel, and it was just amazing. And it doesn't go deeper than that. And it's not based on what God says in his word and his purposes and, and our heart for him, then it's easy to sour and turn on the Jewish people. So those are some of the ways that, that anti-Semitism is manifest today, but in particular with an extreme anti-Zionism that demonizes and de- delegitimizes the state and with, with the idea that Jews are trying to take over the world. And hey, look, here's the evidence. Well, you know, a lot of our young people are just bombarded by this on social media. And there's a um, there's another form of anti-Semitism that I think is growing and that uh, you have a particular concern for and expertise. And I'd like for you to take a few minutes and talk to us about Christian anti-Semitism today. Um, you know, when we study its history, we like to kind of disassociate ourselves from that history from that church. Um, but um, really, we're seeing it raise its ugly head again today. And it's something we really have to be aware of, be prepared to confront it. So could you just take a few minutes and talk to us about Christian anti-Semitism and where you're finding it today? Yes, uh, obviously, it's it's a real oxymoron, the idea that there could be Jew hatred among Christians, and demonizing and characterizing of the uh, caricaturing of the Jewish people as a people among Christians. And you are right, it's something that, that we've been able to disassociate ourselves from for a long time, say, hey, that's, that's not who we are. Uh, so when I came to faith in 1971, immediately my dad wanted me to meet the local rabbi, and shortly after we met, he gave me a book on anti-Semitism and church history that was a complete shocker. And you've got famous names in church history and terrible things that they've said about the Jewish people and then various things that the church instituted against the Jewish people. And then at its worst times, offering Jewish people baptism or death. That's why for for many Jews, especially religious Jews, those Jews who know their history, Christianity is a dirty word. That's why in many Jewish households, kids grow up and hearing Jesus Christ, that's profanity. It's a curse word. If you're really angry, your parents, if your parents are really angry, they'll use that as profanity. I was talking to an ultra-Orthodox rabbi, and he, meant, he said to me, if he said the word Christianity around his father, his father would literally throw up. So many Jews see things through that lens, sadly, tragically. Of course, that's, that's why I wrote the book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, to try to help Christians today understand that history. But all that I experienced for decades in the Lord, especially traveling around the world, was a great love for Israel, a great love for the Jewish people. And evangelical Christians, for example, in America, have become Israel's best friends to the fact, the point that the government of Israel even recognizes that solidarity and support and sees it as genuine because it's endured now decade after decade after decade. Uh, Yet, tragically, that ugly stream remains. We, We can't simply say, well, it's got nothing to do with us because there are Christians, conservative Christians, evangelical Christians, Bible-believing Christians that hold to these same demonic views about the Jewish people and are some of the quickest to jump on the bandwagon and demonize Jewish people. I can honestly say that in the last few years, especially and primarily through intranet, I've encountered more, quote, Christian 
anti-Semitism than I have in the previous 47, 48 years before that combined. And I see it coming from, from a few sources. Um, there are some who have swung back into an extreme replacement theology and see no purpose for the modern state of Israel and see no prophetic fulfillment, but not only so believe that the Jewish people struck out, that as a people they committed one too many sins and God said, that's it, it's over for you. So there are some Christian theologies that put such an emphasis on the destruction of the, of the second temple, even saying that's really the return of Jesus when he came in judgment on the second temple. And that's when God said it's all over for Israel and the Jewish people. So individual Jews can be saved, but it's all over for the nation. Therefore, you can look at Israel like the most secular person does today or the most radical pro-Palestinian and the Jews are guilty of all kinds of crimes and atrocities. Uh, another aspect is conspiracy theories, that it's remarkable to me to see how these have risen in our midst. We've seen it politically and in other ways, but it's theologically as well. And there are things that have been utterly shocking to me. Uh, for example, Judaism teaches what are called the seven laws of Noah, based on Genesis 2 and Genesis 9, and then rabbinic interpretation to derive these. It basically says seven laws that God gave to humanity as a whole. And if a Gentile will live by these laws, which include, for example, don't blaspheme, don't commit idolatry, don't commit adultery, don't, don't steal, don't murder, don't eat the limb of a living animal, establish courts of justice, that if Gentiles will live by these seven laws, that they will be acceptable to God, just like a Jew living by the 613 commandments of the Torah. And it's, it's that simple. It's, it's, it's what many religious Jews believe. No, Gentiles don't need to keep all these laws. They just need to keep these seven. Well, somehow, this is now a major internet sensation that Jews are planning to begin executing, beheading Christians under the institution of the seven laws of Noah. It's one of the most bizarre things I've ever heard in my life. I had to devote a whole chapter to it in my book, Christian Antisemitism, to deal with it, and it continues to grow. So what it comes from is that these are all theoretical laws. In other words, in the Messianic era, that Gentiles would still be required to keep these seven laws, just like Jews would be required to keep all 613. And in the Messianic era, let's say a Jew would not keep the Sabbath, that person would be put to death, just like if a Gentile would worship an idol, they would be put to death. And because there's a debate within Judaism, whether Christians and their belief in a trinity and a divine son, whether they are idolatrous or not, that based on that belief, that if they are idolatrous, well, then they'll be put to death under the seven laws of Noah. And because you know, the United States government has approved the seven laws of Noah and the Vatican has approved the seven laws of Noah, this is all this vast conspiracy that very soon Jews are going to turn on the whole world and be begin beheading all these people. You think, oh, who could possibly believe that? But amazingly, there are people who are thinking people and study this and, oh, it's there and listen to what the rabbis have to say. So you have bizarre things like that. And, and then you also have, as different quotes from the Talmud have circulated and different writings that could easily be taken in very negative light or taken out of context, 
these have now been made to demonize the Jews as a whole, and that the Jews believe Jesus is burning in hell an excrement, that the Jews believe it's perfectly fine to, to sexually abuse a child and there's nothing to it. So you get these bizarre statements and some based on complete misunderstandings of rabbinic literature, and these circulate, and these lend credence to these other anti-Semitic views. I'll, I'll say this last thing. We have to remember that the generation growing up today is quite distant from the Holocaust. And with our very short memories these days, something that took place in the 1940s and began in the 1930s has no connection to many young people today. They did not see the rebirth of Israel out of the ashes of the Holocaust. They did not see the miraculous preservation and growth of Israel over the years, and they've been bombarded with a steady diet of evil Israel, bad Israel, terrible Israel, and many young people in particular want to side with the underdog, with the one that is the oppressed. Israel is now the oppressor, the evil oppressor. So these things have factored into creating an environment where maybe in my generation, it was much more natural to have a great love for the Jewish people in recognition of the modern state of Israel. Today, it's not that natural, and we can't take it for granted. Well, your first book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, which I bought back in the 90s when you first published it. Of course, since then, you've expanded it and you've published a second edition. But it was really my primer. It what taught me about that history. But as you said, you've seen a rise of it. We're encountering some of these bizarre conspiracy theories as well. And it's very distressing. And so your second book is just so important because you do address some of those conspiracy theories and really set the record straight. Um, I really appreciate that you wrote that book and that you wrote both of them. And uh, I noticed in, in one of the books you wrote, you mentioned that in all of your interaction with seminaries, where you've been an adjunct professor at several of them, um, if I'm right, you discovered none of them are teaching the history of Christian anti-Semitism. And um, could you just address that for a minute? How do you explain that? Yeah, it's, it's a massive blind spot. In some cases, it's embarrassing and it's avoided. But in other cases, it's, it's a massive blind spot. I, I was talking to a black friend of mine here in the States, and he was saying, he goes, we, we don't get it. He's, he's a believer and an educator. He said, you know, the way the Holocaust is to the Jewish people, slavery and segregation is to black Americans, and you don't seem to recognize it as much, you know, in, in your history and your teaching. It's, it's, it's almost downplayed. He said, it's hard for us to understand. And the truth is that all of us have blind spots in certain ways. But if we love the Lord, when someone reveals those blind spots to us, then we respond with graciousness and humility and, and we make a course correction. So often when you're teaching American history, you just want to teach the best things and the most amazing things in our history and kind of downplay the worst or a treatment of Native, Native Americans or things, and, you know, because there's so many good things about America. So all the more when you're looking at church history, there's so many good things and good developments and, and you want to focus on kind of the, the movement that gets to you today. And often that's, you know, looking at the heroes of the faith and looking at those who sacrificed for the gospel and looking at these exemplary models of the Christian kindness and discipline and so on and so forth. 
And the bad parts, the aberrant, well, that's, that's really somebody else, or, or that's not us, but it's inexcusable. It's utterly inexcusable. Uh, there are some seminaries now that have worked now with, with Messianic Jewish scholars and that have incorporated more teaching on these subjects because, again, uh, American history through Native American eyes reads differently than American history, say, through European American eyes. In the same way, church history through Messianic Jewish eyes often reads differently than through Gentile Christian uh, eyes. And there has been some positive influence now in more recent years. But I, I remember a conversation that I had with one of the, the world's leading church historians, a fine Christian man. And I asked him, so when you teach church history and you're dealing, say, with the church fathers and, and a great leader like John Chrysostom, I said, when do you teach about his seven sermons against the Jews, which were used by Hitler, republished by Hitler, to help fuel anti-Semitism? We, we don't. They have whole classes on Martin Luther, because he was such an influential thinker. And for us Protestants, uh, those that would be in that, in that larger camp, a, a tremendously important figure. And I asked, so when you teach uh, Martin Luther, when do you teach about his anti-Semitic writings, which also were, were not only reprinted by the Nazis, but utilized by the Nazis in terms of strategy in treating the Jewish people? We don't. It's inexcusable. There, there is no valid reason not to do it. In fact, it must be taught. If we don't learn from history, we will, we will repeat these mistakes. And yes, it's true. As I've taught some of the content of our hands are stand with blood in different nations, Christians are utterly shocked. Christians in, in India, Christians in South Korea, uh, Christians in other parts of the world, especially in, in Asia, Africa, they're utterly shocked to hear these things because they don't have a direct history, even in their own traditions, of these things. A lot of this has been a largely Anglo phenomenon. Uh, even when I've taught it with Christians from European background, they didn't know how deep it was or how far back it went, and they're, they're shocked. They'll come up to me with tears. And uh, Nonetheless, this is part of history, and, and we cannot deny it. We cannot downplay it. And yes, there has been Christian love for Israel. There has been Christian support for the Jewish people. Uh, there has been a beautiful stream especially in, in various evangelical circles, as people have gotten more and more back to the Bible. It's given them more and more appreciation for God's promises to Israel. And the church has found comfort in God's patient, loving dealings with Israel. Uh, despite his judgments, he's preserved the Jewish people. Well, the same way Christians have taken comfort in that. Uh, yet these, these things must be taught. There must be education based on truth. We must understand why these things crept into church history. And without replacement theology, the idea that in God's plan of salvation, the church had taken the place of ethnic Israel and God was finished with the Jewish people as a people, without replacement theology, that door of anti-Semitism likely never would have been opened the way it was opened. So we need to address the manifestations of this theologically as well as ideologically. Well, Dr. Brown, uh, we just want to thank you again for not only spending time with us today to discuss it, but for the two books that you published that we can all study and uh, gain an understanding of this horrible history um, of Christian anti-Semitism so that we can learn from it to make sure that it doesn't happen today. There are 
uh, concerning trends that I see here in the United States, even in the church community. We have so much to learn. So we want to thank you for your uh, exceptional efforts to educate all of us. We're going to put on the screen a link to where they can order your books, and we'll put it down below in today's show notes. Uh, please be sure and get Dr. Brown's books and pass them around. Uh, there's so much for us to learn and uh, to, to stand against today, to stand against anti-Semitism that is rearing its ugly head again today. So thank you for joining us. Uh, on behalf of the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem, I want to say shalom and thank you for spending time with us today. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.